0: prefer open your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of 2nd Thessalonians. So we're finally getting back to our series we're calling 2020 uh, where we are looking for the gospel uh, from one cover to the next and uh, if you've been around very long uh, you know we've been able to find it. It's, uh, it's really uh, most of the time it's not hard to find and um, man I hope that you're uh, blessed uh, to be here today and uh, man, it's just uh, it's good to be back with you. Uh, I, I want to uh, thank you for your prayers and concerns as I was out. Um, thank you for everybody who filled in while I was gone. Uh, it is good to be back with you this morning. Uh, so uh, a few weeks ago, we saw uh, this church in Thessalon- Thessalonica. It was born after Paul and Silas spent just a, a few weeks with them. And because of persecution, Paul and Silas fled for their lives, and they left this fledgling church to itself. And by God's grace, uh, they kept the faith. Now, the sequence of the gospel, it was evident in their lives, and it, is, it still happens the same in ours. Remember, it, cal- it comes to us, it works in us, and then it goes from us. It comes to us, it works in us, and then it goes from us. And really, um, if the sequence is somehow broken, uh, then something is, is, is missing. Uh, this church was living on mission even in the face of, of persecution. And so we are all called to live on mission as well. Uh, 1 Thessalonians was written to answer some questions that uh, Paul's spiritual children had that had been left to the wolves. And the biggest one was, okay, what happens to people who die in Christ. Where do they go? Do do they miss the the blessings of Jesus? And and, and Paul made sure to to let them know, uh, actually, they've never experienced the blessings of Jesus more. Uh, The truth is, uh, man, death has lost its sting. And so, 2 Thessalonians was written just a few months after 1 Thessalonians to the same church who still had questions. As persecution continued and was increasing, the easiest thing to do would be to give up on Jesus. Just to to walk away from their faith, to live in peace, but they just couldn't do it. By the power of the Holy Spirit living in them, they desired to continue to move forward in the faith. And church, let us be reminded, we have that same power Chapter 1 in 2 Thessalonians shows us that their faith produced hope. The first blank on your outline. Faith produced hope even in the midst of persecution. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3-5 says this. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting. Because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all bounds, abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. For your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. So we see that God's word gives hope to these persecuted believers, despite the difficulties that were going on, good things were still happening. There in verse 3, it said that your faith grows exceedingly. Now we've seen that word exceedingly before, even in our 2020 study. It's it's where we get our word for hyper. Uh, We saw it a few weeks ago in Ephesians 2. Remember, God can do exceedingly, exceedingly above all we ask or imagine. And So the meaning here is more, beyond what is expected. In this case, it describes the faith of the believers now we already noted uh, that persecution was the cause and and while we may know a little bit about persecution compared to the the other parts of the world uh, we really can't relate Uh, we may get some dirty looks for our faith Uh, we may even get rejected if we try to present our faith Uh, but none of us have death threats because of it Uh, like the Thessalonians did like Christians in other places like uh, North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, um, you see there on your outline, uh, you can go to opendoorsusa.org opendoor, and, and see the watch list of the 50 most dangerous places to be a Christian in the world. Uh, the U.S. is not on that list. It, it might be someday, but, it, but it's not right now. And, and so church, we need to be grateful uh, for the fact that we can meet like this without threat of death, but we also need to be grounded in our faith for the days ahead when persecution may come. The, the Word of God says that it will. Are we ready? And of course, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are facing danger for their faith. Persecution we're not familiar with, but note no what else is the cause uh, of, of tribulation for these, the Thessalonians. Verse 4. We ourselves boast of you among the churches of God, for your patience and faith, and all your persecution, and the next word there, tribulations that you endure, you endure through tribulation. Now, the word for tribulation here is thleipsis. T H L I P S I S, and you can write that down. Thleipsis—that's the word used here. And uh, so, thleipsis is uh, pressing down. It is—it is pressure. Think of uh, grapes. In a press. Uh, in, in ancient England, phlepsis was a death penalty where heavy weights would be put on someone, someone's chest until it crushed them. And so this is the picture of tribulation here. It, it's, uh, it's not light stuff. It is heavy. It is extreme. It is crushing pain. And I know immediately, as soon as some of you heard that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, different things in our lives can bring this crushing these crushing blows to us. If you've ever had anybody in your life turn on you and completely throw you under the bus, you know phlepsis. If you've ever lost someone that you love, it can cause phlepsis. When, when someone you love is hurting and experiencing this pressure, this fleepsis, you may experience it as well. Different burdens can cause, and so God's word says to us, persecution and these crushing blows they can cause our faith to grow exceedingly beyond what was expected. Actually, that is the purpose of the difficulties that we face and that may be the only answer we ever get as to why they happen all this pressure should cause our love to abound toward each other. It said there in verse 3. Verse 4 says it developed patience in the Thessalonians, implying that it should to us as well. This uh, same word, phlepsis, is used in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 3-4. Let me; You can follow along as I read. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, not just some, but all, who comforts us in all, not just some, of our tribulations. There's the word right there. us That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. There's the word again. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so church, the hope in the midst of difficulties for the persecuted and crushed is that God is the God of all comfort. Even the comfort that you need right now. He comforts us in our tribulations. Your current crushing blow is not exempt to the comfort of God. And when we realize this truth, we experience growing faith and hope and love and patience. We experience comfort from the Father of all mercies. How do those uh, infomercials say it? But wait, there's more. Let's continue reading. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. Uh, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation, there's the word sleepsis, those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Now notice, starting in verse 8, something is described. And these are the words that describe it. Uh, Flaming fire. God's vengeance. Verse 9 talks about punishment. Everlasting destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord. What do you think is being described here? Yeah, I heard it. It's hell. Hell is being described. The very real place of flaming fire. Where God executes his vengeance on sinners with eternal punishment. Everlasting destruction. Away from the presence of God. So here's an interesting question. How does the reality of hell bring How does the reality of hell bring hope? Here's the answer. Because of the gospel. Because of the sufficiency of Christ. Because those who have trusted in it, in him, are no longer condemned. Verses 6 and 7. It is a righteous thing that w- with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest. See, church, we will see His glory. Verse 10 says, He will be glorified in us, and we will admire Him for all His glory. The reality of hell brings hope, because the gospel means we don't have to go there. One of the words translated hell in the Bible is Gehenna. Gehenna, maybe you've heard that word before. Gehenna was a a garbage dump outside Jerusalem that continually burned And became a symbol for the reality of the eternal flames of hell. And So here's the hope of the gospel. There are times when we experience Gehenna in this life for whatever reason. Uh, This is the stuff that God's word calls light momentary afflictions. Small potatoes compared to the glory of heaven. And so God is telling these new believers through Paul, keep the faith. Don't be discouraged. Despite persecution and tribulation, good things are happening. And one of these days, you will see God step in and overcome darkness and fight for his own. He already is, but one of these days, we won't be able to miss it. So therefore, we have hope. And we can pray with Paul, verses 11 and 12, that our God would count us worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasures of his his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in us, and us in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we have hope. This leads to number two on your outline. He, did, he then transitions, um, there's more reason why we have hope and it's uh, because of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Now if you remember, uh, Paul has already addressed this in his first letter. Uh, chapter 4 spoke of how the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who re- remain will be caught up with him in the air. First Thessalonians 5, 2 says this, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So Paul's already talked about it. Why would, he, why would he revisit it? Why would he address it again? Well, apparently, a rumor came from an unnamed source that quoted Paul as saying, okay, the day of the Lord, it's already come. Jesus has returned. If you're still here, you've missed it. He's abandoned you. Now, if you can imagine, uh, that would cause quite a bit of phlepsis, tribulation for these people. And so this was a main reason for writing this letter, in order to reveal the truth. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as it is from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed." So apparently people have been making false claims about the return of Christ for a, a long time. I can remember one such prediction from uh, 1990. Do you guys remember the name Iben Browning? you guys remember that name? Uh, according to him, um, man, the, the biggest earthquake Missouri had ever seen was supposed to happen on December 3rd, 1990. And, and I remember that day. Uh, bridges were supposed to collapse, buildings were going to fail, I mean, all, all of this stuff. And there was, there was an eerie feeling that day. I, I remember, as even as a kid, and it, it came, and it went. And nothing happened. See, news like this can scare us unless we know the word of God. Matthew 25:36, The day and hour. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So so chapter 2, here in in 2 Thessalonians, it lists three things in the timeline of the coming of Christ. Uh, First of all, the falling away. The falling away. Uh, Verse 3 there. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first. It comes from the Greek word apostasia. Uh, apostasy means abandoning the faith, completely walking away. Now, does this indicate that someone is losing their salvation? No. Uh, if, if we look at it from context of all scripture, that says we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that nothing can remove us from his hand. I think it means that whoever falls away from their faith never had true faith. When we think of the, the parable of the soils in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the four soils. It indicates that some people appear to grab hold of faith, but lacks depth, and they soon die off, going back to the old lifestyle. We've seen it before. Uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew thirteen tells us that Christians and non-Christians grow together, but one day God will separate them. This falling away could be part of that separation. If you've been around long enough, we all know people that seem to be strong in their faith and appear to have none, any longer i believe the falling away spoken of here will be massive and it will be recognizable and and church listen uh, we are all capable only by the grace of god will we remain faithful to the end so the falling away uh, secondly what is restraining the man of sin will be removed Uh, this is how the man of sin is described Uh, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called god or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So the man of sin here is the Antichrist. Anti meaning against instead of Christ. And the one restraining is the Holy Spirit. You can write that down. The Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is removed, then the Antichrist will have free reign. And then that leads to number three. The Antichrist will be revealed. The son of perdition will be revealed. He will come into this world in Satan's power. He will deceive people into believing that he is the Savior. He will exalt himself as God. He will use similar signs that Jesus did. People will be blind to the truth because of the falling away. And many will be deceived. Uh, traditional Baptist view on this is that the church, true believers, will be raptured and then literally all hell breaks loose. And let me just say, I I hope that that is right. But the bottom line is that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. We are one day closer than we ever have been. And so we should live our lives to be ready at any moment. Consider Consider this question, if he came back right now, is there anything in your life you'd be ashamed of? Is there anything going on in your life right now that you have not confessed, that you have not repented of, and you'd be ashamed when you met the God of the universe face to face? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? What needs to happen in order for that to happen? These are questions that only you can answer yourself. He is coming back. And again, this is something that can instill fear in us unless we know the Word of God. See, God didn't put this in His Word to scare us, but to inspire hope and confidence in Jesus to strengthen our faith, to give us the, the, the power we need to stand fast. Verse 10 We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself... And our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. See, the reality of Jesus coming back also gives us hope. Not only, despite difficulties that we might face, are good things happening, but in the end, Jesus wins. The next blank's on your outline. What we hope in shapes what we live for what we hope for shapes what we live for so where is your hope we sang it this morning jesus christ our living hope is yours this leads us to the last chapter of, of second thessalonians as we begin to to close here this morning number three on your outline to the idol to the idol Now, this is I-D-L-E, not Uh, I-D-O-L. I-D-L-E, idle, means to avoid work, to be lazy, to lack purpose or effect. Okay, so uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Uh, we, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. That word disorderly there is translated as idle in other translations. Okay, Uh, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly, we were not idle among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day. We might might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you, in disorderly manner idle manner not working at all but our busy bodies now those who are such we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread uh, church I will never forget uh, several years ago when a man came into my office who was on disability and he had since recovered from his injury he was able to go back to the workforce and he was asking my advice what he should do because he was he was torn between getting that handout ...or working. And, and so my advice to him... Th- ...this passage came to mind. If you're able to work... ...you should work. That, that's, what, that's what God's word is, is saying. The old adage... ...an idle mind is the devil's workshop... ...comes into play here. For the Thessalonians... ...they heard this news that Jesus was coming back... ...so they, they quit their jobs... ...they lived off uh, handouts of the people still working... ...and they just waited for his return. And so Paul says... "Listen." That's not how this goes. If you're able to work, you should work. Now, uh, let's take it a step further for us. Uh, God's word uh, says to work so as to not be idle. But the truth is, we can still be working and still be idle. Uh, Remember, part of the definition of idle was to lack purpose or effect. Our jobs do not define who we are. I'm a pastor, and that does not give me any significance in God's eyes. Only Jesus does. But our jobs are the greatest platforms that we have for most of us to live on mission. So let me ask you this. What is your purpose at work? What's your purpose? Because if it's just to collect a paycheck, you'll probably end up idle. But if it is to spread the gospel of Jesus, that's where significance comes. And it almost seems like there should be an an asterisk in this whole idea of if you're able to work, you should. I mean, we live in a day of of stimulus payments and government programs, and let me just say, uh, we should be thankful for how God provides through programs like these, but the bottom line for a Christian, if you're able to work, you should work, and you should live on mission through that work. Our last admonition, 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Do not grow weary. And doing good. Number four on your outline. Keep it up. Keep it up. Stay in the fight. Live for Jesus. Because it is worth it. This is how the gospel affects our lives today. And so this little book of 2 Thessalonians. It gives hope. It helps us see that good things are happening. Even when it feels like they're not gives us clarity. We don't, we won't, and we can't know the day that Jesus will return, but we need to live each day with purpose and mission, living on mission, until we see him face to face. As we go into a time of invitation, would you bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are? We like to answer two questions every week what has god said to you and what are you going to do about it? when uh, when you heard the question is there anything in your life that you'd be ashamed of if you saw god face to face right now if anything came to mind why don't you confess that why wouldn't you confess it when we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you need accountability in your life, uh, please come and talk to somebody. Talk talk to me or Kevin. There are other godly people among us. Maybe you're just discouraged walking in here today. Man, we know that life is full of burdens. And sometimes uh, we, like the Thessalonians, just wonder, man, is, is it even worth it? It'd be easier just to assimilate into culture and live in peace. Because we know the battles are real, internal battles. and we burdens are real. So God is speaking to you. Keep the faith. It's worth it. Be true to your calling to move forward one of these days is all light momentary affliction and Lord we invite you to come we thank you for your word Lord how uh, these ancient letters and they speak to us right now God I, I want to lift up those who are among us who are just burdened Lord, and they, they wonder okay is, is faith even worth it Lord would, would you encourage them today Lord, for, for whatever crushing blow they've, they've been through, Lord, encourage them and comfort them because we, we come to you as the God of comfort. Lord, I lift up those who are dealing with sin. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you allow us to deal with sin, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace with confidence and find help in time of need. Lord, help us to be willing to repent of our sin. Search our hearts, God. Thank you for this church. We thank you for this church family. As we leave this place, in the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And however you prefer, open the word of God to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. It is good to be back with you today. I want to uh, just say thanks for all your prayers and concerns. Um. Thanks for everybody who filled in when I was gone, but man, like I said, it is good to be back with you today. So um, a few weeks ago, we saw uh, in 1 Thessalonians, um, this this church was born after Paul and Silas uh, spent just a few weeks with them, and because of persecution, they had to run for their lives, and they left this fledgling little church to its own. Now by God's grace, they kept the faith. And we saw, remember, we saw the sequence of the gospel that is still the same today in our lives. Remember, the gospel came to them, it worked in them, and then it went from them. The gospel came to them, it worked in them, and then it went from them. And and what we see is, if any part of this sequence is missing, then... Man, there's, there's really a disconnect somewhere. See, this little church, it was living on mission even in the face of persecution. And so we, we see, uh, man, we are called to live on mission as well. So 1 Thessalonians was written to answer some questions to Paul's spiritual children that were left to the wolves. The biggest question was, okay, what happens to people when they die in Christ? Where do they go? Do they miss the blessings of Jesus? And so Paul explained, the truth is, they have never experienced the blessings of Jesus more. Because in, de- in Christ, death has lost its sting. So 2 Thessalonians was written just a-, a few months after 1 Thessalonians. To this same church who still had more questions. As persecution continued, it was increasing. The easiest thing to do would be to just give up on Jesus. To walk away from their faith, live in peace but they just couldn't. By the power of the Holy Spirit in them, they desire to continue to move forward in their faith. And church, listen, we have that same Holy Spirit. We have the same power. So ch- chapter 1 in First Thessalonians, it shows us that their faith produced hope. It's number one in your outline. Their faith produced hope even in the midst of persecution. Second Thessalonians 1, through 3-5 says this. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So God's word gives hope to these persecuted believers. Despite all these difficulties that were going on, good things were happening. And so let's take a look. In verse three, it said, their faith was growing exceedingly. Their faith grows exceedingly. Now we've seen that word exceedingly back in Ephesians 2. You might remember. Uh, It's where we get our word hyper. And it means above and beyond what is expected. And in this case, it's describing the faith Of the believers. Now, we already noted that persecution was the cause, and while we may know a little bit about persecution compared to other parts of the world, we really have no idea. I mean, can you imagine a a death sentence for being caught with a copy of the Word of God? I probably have 20 in my office, if not more. So, we may get some dirty looks for our faith. We may even get rejected when we try to present it, but I don't think any of us have death threats like the Thessalonians did, like Christians do in in other places in the world. Uh, So you see there on your outline, uh, you can go to opendoorsusa.org, and you can see the watch list of the 50 most dangerous places to be a Christian in the world. Uh, Places like North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya. Uh, The United States is not on that list. And it might be someday, but it's not right now. And so we need to be thankful for the fact and get grounded in our faith for the days ahead when it does come. Man, the word tells us it is coming. And so we need to be preparing. Of course, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are facing danger for their faith. Persecution we're not familiar with. But there was another cause in in verse 4, and so let's look there. It says that, uh, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecution. And what's the next word? Tribulation. Tribulation. That you endure. So let's look at that word tribulation. Uh, the original word is philipsis. Try to say that with me. philipsis. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. Philipsis. It means uh, a, a pressing down. It means... kind of think of of grapes in a press in ancient england phlepsis was a death penalty where heavy weights were put on somebody's chest until it crushed them to death and so this is the picture here uh, of tribulation it's not light stuff it's heavy it's extreme it is crushing pain and i know as soon as some of us hear that we immediately think of what's going on In our lives. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Different things can cause phlepsis to us. Man, life just sends crushing blows. If you've ever had someone turn on you and just completely throw you under the bus, you know phlepsis. The loss of someone you love can cause phlepsis. When someone you love is hurting and experiencing phlepsis, then you may experience it as well. Different heavy burdens cause this And so God's word says to us, persecution and these crushing blows, they can cause our faith to grow exceedingly beyond what is expected. Actually, church, that is their purpose. And that may be the only answer we get as to why they happen. They should cause our love to abound toward each other, like verse 3 says. Verse 4 says that it developed patience in the Thessalonians, and it, it implies that it should do the same for us. This same word, phlepsis, is used in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 3-4. Follow along as I read it. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all. Notice it says all, not just some, but all, comfort, who comforts us in not just some, but all our tribulation. There's the word right there. In all our thlepsis. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble, there it is again, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so church, the hope in the midst of difficulties and, and persecuted, persecution, the crushed, is that God is the God of all comfort. Even the comfort that you need right now, and he comforts us in all our tribulation, your current crushing blow is not exempt to the comfort of God and when we realize this truth that's when we when our faith grows exceedingly when hope grows exceedingly and love and patience that's when we experience the comfort of the father of all mercies but there's more let's continue reading second thessalonians 1 6 Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation, there's that word phlepsis again, those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Now church, notice starting in verse 8, something is described. And here's how it is described. Flaming fire, God's vengeance. Verse nine says punishment, and everlasting destruction, and away from the presence of God. Okay, so what do you think is being described here? Anybody? I think I heard it. It's, it's hell. It's it's hell. It's being described here—the very real place of flaming fire where God executes His vengeance on sinners with eternal punishment, everlasting destruction, away from His presence. So here's a very valid question. How does the reality of hell bring hope? How how does the reality of hell bring hope? And here's the answer. Because of the gospel. Because of the sufficiency of Christ. Because those who have trusted in Him are no longer condemned. Verses 6 and 7, it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who troubled you and to give you who are troubled rest. Church, we will see him in all his glory. He will be glorified in us, verse 10 says. We will admire his glory. The reality of hell brings hope because the gospel means we don't have to go there. One of the words translated as hell in the Bible is Gehenna. Gehenna was a garbage dump uh, outside of Jerusalem that continually burned. It became a symbol of the eternal flames of hell. And so here's the hope of the gospel. There are times in our lives when we experience Gehenna in this life for whatever reason. This is the stuff that God's word calls light momentary afflictions. Small potatoes compared to the glory of heaven. God is telling these new believers through Paul, keep the faith, don't be discouraged. Despite persecution, despite tribulation, good things are happening. And one day, you will see God step in and overcome darkness and fight for his own. He already is, but one day you'll see it and it'll be impossible to miss it. Therefore, we have hope and we can pray along with Paul, verses 11 and 12. Notice what it says, that our God would, would count us worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasures of his goodness and work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in us and us in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Their faith led to hope. This leads us to number two on your outline where Paul talks about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Because the day of the Lord actually brings hope as well. If you remember, Paul already dressed it. In First Thessalonians, chapter 4, it spoke of, of how the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who remain will be caught up with him in the air. So 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says this, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So he's already addressed it in his first letter. Why would he address it again? Well, apparently, a rumor had started from an unnamed source that had quoted Paul as saying, Okay, the day of the Lord, it's already... It's already happened. He's already returned. If you're still here, you've missed it. He has abandoned you. Now, we can imagine that would cause some phlepsis if, if, we, if we heard that, wouldn't it? Some tribulation. And so this was a main reason for Paul writing this letter in order to reveal the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2.1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And now you know what is restraining, that he might be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So apparently, uh, people have always made false claims about the return of Jesus. If you were uh, alive in 1990, you might remember a man named Ivan Browning. Remember that name? I I can remember uh, he said the worst earthquake Missouri had ever seen was going to happen on December uh, 3rd, 1990. Uh, bridges were going to fail and buildings were going to collapse. And I remember that day. There was there was a an eerie feeling. Every time you went over a bridge, but but the day came and it went and nothing happened. It, news like that can scare us unless we know the word. Of God. Matthew twenty five, thirty-six. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So chapter two here lists three things in the timeline of the coming of Christ. So let's look at them. First, the falling away. The falling away. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, verse three says. Uh, coming from the Greek word apostasia. Apostasy means abandoning the faith completely walking away now this may bring up a question does this mean that someone is losing their salvation no it does not if we look in context of all of scripture that says we are sealed by the holy spirit and that nothing can remove us from his hand i think that it means whoever falls away from the faith never had true faith think about the parable of the four soils in three of the gospels matthew mark and luke it indicates that people will appear to grab hold of faith, but then lack depth and soon die off, going back to the old lifestyle. The parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13 tells us that Christians and non-Christians alike, they grew up together, but one day God will separate them. This falling away may be part of that separation. I mean, if you've been around long enough, we all know people who seem to be strong in their faith and now appear to have none at all. I believe this falling away spoken of here will be massive, and it will be recognizable. And church, let me just tell you, I am capable. <laughs> it's only by the grace of God that I'll remain faithful to the end. Um, second, so the falling away, secondly, what is restrained the man of sin will be revealed. Uh, this is how the man of sin is, is uh, described, verse 4. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed so the man of sin is the antichrist, anti meaning against Christ and the one restraining is the Holy Spirit so that's the next blank on your on your outline I believe Uh, the one restraining the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is removed, the Antichrist will have free reign. And thirdly, it says the Antichrist will then be revealed. The Antichrist will then be revealed. He will come to this world in Satan's power. He will deceive people into believing that he is the Savior. He will exalt himself as God. He will use similar signs that Jesus did. People will be blind to the truth because of the falling away, and many will be deceived. Now, traditional Baptist view On this is that the church true believers will be raptured and then literally all hell breaks loose and and church let me just say I I hope that that is right but the bottom line is that Jesus is coming back and we don't know when but we should live our lives to be ready at any moment so here's my question to you is there anything currently in your life that if Jesus came back right now and you, face, you, you stood right in front of him, is there anything that you would be currently ashamed of? And only you can answer that. And listen, if, if there's something in the past that you have already, already confessed and turned away from, you don't have to worry about that. Is there anything currently in your life that you would be ashamed of if you stood before God? Would he say, well done, good and faithful servant, Or not. These are questions we can only answer for ourselves. Church, he's coming back. And even this is something that can instill fear in us unless we know the Word of God. He doesn't put this reality in his Word to scare us, but to inspire hope and confidence in Jesus and to strengthen us to stand fast in our faith. Verse 13. We are bound to give thanks to God. Always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which we, which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle, which means letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our, and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and word. See, this too gives hope. Not only despite the difficulties we might face, good things are still happening, but church, in the end, Jesus wins. And what we hope in, what we hope for, shapes what we live for. The next blank's on your outline. What we hope for, shapes what we live for. So where is your Where's your hope? Is it in the living hope, Jesus Christ, that we sing about today? Or is it somewhere else? Because whatever else you put your hope in, it will leave you wanting. And whatever you put your hope in, that's what you're living for. This leads us to the last chapter of 2 Thessalonians. Number three on your outline is to the idol. To the idol. I D L E, not idol. Idol. It means to avoid work, to be lazy to lack purpose or effect. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 and following. We command you, brethren, in in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. That word disorderly is translated as idle. It means idle. Who walks idle and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we are not idle among you, nor do we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but work with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you to this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some among you who walk among you in a disorderly manner, in an idle manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Uh, So church, I'll never forget... Uh, several years ago when a man came into my office, uh, and he had been on disability for quite a while, but he had, uh, he had been healed. I mean, he'd overcome his injuries, and so he was torn between uh, going back to the workforce or uh, just keep uh, staying on disability, and so he was asking my opinion, and, and this verse came to my mind, and bottom line, I told him, if you're able to work, you need to work. If you're able to work, you need to work. The old adage, an idle mind, an idle mind is the devil's workshop kind of comes into play here, doesn't it? Now, for the Thessalonians, they heard this news that Jesus was coming back, and so they quit their jobs, and they lived off the handouts of people still working, and they just waited for Jesus' return. And so Paul said, listen, that's not how this works. If you're able to work, you should work. So let's take that a step further for us. Uh, so God's Word says to work so as to not be idle, But the truth is, we can be working and still be idle. Remember, part of the definition of idle is to lack purpose or effect. Now, our jobs do not define who we are. Uh, The fact that I am a pastor uh, does not gain me significance in the eyes of God. Only Jesus does. But our jobs are probably the greatest platform that most of us have to live on mission. And So I ask you this. What is your purpose at work what's your purpose at work if it's just to collect a paycheck you'll probably end up idle but if it is to spread the gospel of Jesus that's where significance comes and it almost seems like there should be an asterisk behind this whole paragraph this whole idea of uh, if you're able to work you should I mean we live in a day of of stimulus payments and government programs and let me just say uh, we should be thankful for how God provides through these programs but the bottom line for a Christian if you're able to work you should work And you should live on mission through that work. The last admonition comes in chapter 3, verse 13. It simply says this, do not grow weary in doing good. Number four in your outline, keep it up. Keep it up. Stay in the fight. Live for Jesus. It's worth it. See, this is how the gospel affects us today. And so we see this, this little book of Second Thessalonians. It gives hope. It helps us to see, despite uh, everything that's going on, when it feels like things are out of control, good things are happening. God is still at work. It gives us clarity. We don't, we won't, and we cannot know when Jesus will return. But we need to live each day like it could be today. We need to live on mission as if we will face him any moment. As we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are? We like to answer two questions every, every week at this, this time. What has God said to you? And what are you going to do about it?